0: Hello, and welcome to the course. I'm your host today, Julie, and I'm speaking with Professor Chiara Cordelli from the Department of Political Science at the University of Chicago. Professor Cordelli researches social and political philosophy with a particular focus on theories of distributive justice, political legitimacy, normative defenses of the state, and the public-private distinction in liberal theory. She is the author of The Privatized State, which was awarded the 2021 European Consortium Political Research Political Theory Prize for the best first book in political theory. She is here to talk to us about her career path and how she became a University of Chicago professor. Welcome to the course, Professor Cordelli. Thank you, Julie. I'm very excited to be here. To start us off, can you give us a general overview of your career from your college years to becoming a professor at the University of Chicago? Tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, so I was an undergraduate at University La Sapienza in Rome. So I'm Italian, so I grew up in Italy, very close to Rome, and then I went to college there. And there is where uh, in philosophy, and I started, develop, I started to develop an interest in becoming, you know, an academic, in remained at university, but in Italy, it was very difficult to find a job at a university. So I decided then to move to London for a master, also to keep my opportunities and possibilities open, and there I did a master in human rights, but I kept remaining really interested in the theoretical part, so in the philosophy of human rights. And so after the master, I developed a relationship with a professor there who suggested that I could stay there for a PhD. And so in the end, I did that. And after my PhD at the University College London, I moved to the U.S. for my postdoc. And now I'm here at the University of Chicago.
0: Do you remember what you wanted to be when you were younger? Did you have any concept of pursuing an academic career? Or what were your hopes when you were kind of in in middle school, high school? I definitely don't think in middle school. In high school, I mean, I was
1: always a sort of very good student, and I liked math subjects. And in high school, I found an excellent philosophy teacher who really got me interested in philosophy. I had other interests. I was at some point uncertain whether to go into biology. I like to look at things in microscopes. But then in the end, I decided that philosophy was really what I wanted to do. But I think it's just only during college that I thought that I really liked, you know, the research activity. So reading books, but also trying to deeply critically think about them and develop my own arguments. And so I decided to remain in academia. Ultimately, there are also perhaps other reasons. My father was a pediatrician and he really wanted, I think, to teach at university, but in the hospital he was working for, there was no university. So he could never realize that dream. And I think, you know, maybe that influenced me as well.
0: When you look back retrospectively on your younger life, is there anything that kind of makes sense to you now that kind of echoes your current career? Like, oh, it makes sense that I ended up doing political science because I always was really involved in politics or always involved in this. Are there moments in your younger life where you can kind of see those interests developing? Yeah, so I'm in a political
1: science department now, but my background is in philosophy And and I do political philosophy, and I think that makes sense because since a very young age, since I was in high school and even early, I think I was a sort of by nature, a quite introspective and analytic person. I like to analyze my own emotions. I like to analyze other people's emotions and people's attitudes to life. So that kind of analytical approach, I think, is central to philosophy, and probably it makes sense that I ended up there. And as I said, I also liked oh, the the method part of studying. I was a good student. I would start studying at 2 p.m. in the afternoon. You know, I studied for long hours in the afternoon. So, I studying was on the one hand heavy and burdensome, but also something that I was, you know, naturally sort of inclined to do. So I think that makes sense that I ended up where I did.
0: (laughs) Were there any important mentors or teachers you had earlier throughout your career who really influenced you? Who were some of the important people that shaped your career? So I
1: mentioned actually my philosophy teacher in high school. I think she was probably one of the most important people. One thing I regret in terms of uh, especially early career stage is that I was very intimidated by senior professors. So I never contacted them unless strictly necessary. So because of that, I never really developed a close relationship with a mentor. And now retrospectively, I really wished I had a close mentor. So I I can't say that really I had a mentor figure. But over the years, of course, I found inspiration in the work of many people. And then, you know, during my postdoc, And also at the University of Chicago as a pre-tenure professor, when I came here, senior faculty was uh, very supportive and, you know, uh, and they provided excellent role models. So around me, I, I had many really great role models, but I just wish I had developed closer relationships earlier on.
0: Yeah, you kind of mentioned this or hinted at it, moments of challenge or resistance that you've experienced throughout your career. Can you tell me about maybe one or two challenges that you've faced or opposition that you faced throughout your career and how you have dealt with it or overcome it?
1: I mean, some challenges are, you know, you find yourself in great moments of uncertainty, for example, given the nature of the job market in academia. So when you finish your PhD, I mean, at least I thought I'll never find a job. That's very scary. And then of course, in my, in like many academics, and I, I think I'm one of them, suffer from, right, the imposter syndrome. So especially early around during the PhD, I thought, Oh, but am am I good enough to do this? You know, and then you receive some rejections like articles rejected by journals, which is a very common and normal feature of the profession. And you take it very personally. So there are, you know, over the course of of the years, there were many challenges. The biggest one was during my PhD, where at some point I really got lost. I felt I didn't have enough subset of supervision, I felt I could never finish my dissertation, so I decided actually to leave, and it was only thanks to my mother who suggested that I could go part-time, perhaps, and try to find a job in the meantime, but without leaving the program, that I decided to actually do that. So I I went part-time, I became a part-time PhD student, but I really, in practice, left university and found a job at Amnesty International, and and. Before then, I had applied for a fellowship, which I kind of, I forgot about. And when I was working at Amnesty International, after six months, this woman from Washington, D.C., from the Library of Congress called me and said, you know, we are waiting for you here at the Library of Congress. And I completely forgot about that. And then, so I, at that point, I was kind of bored of my job and I decided to go to Washington, D.C. and to go back into academia. And that was a great choice. But the point of this story is that a lot is a matter also of lack. And also that sometimes it's just good to take breaks. And that's the best you can do in some circumstances.
0: Yeah. Was there a moment when you, in your career, maybe during that break or something before that, when you really decided that you wanted to teach and be a professor as opposed to just someone who studies and writes about political philosophy? When was the moment for you that you decided you wanted to be a professor? I mean, I think, you know, during my
1: PhD, of course, then, you know, the the reason to do a PhD in political philosophy, since during a PhD in political philosophy, you do not really acquire many practical skills that help you for other jobs, right? So the most obvious destination for that is to become an academic professor, which includes, of course, both the research part and the teaching part. But I have to say, during my PhD, I didn't have many teaching opportunities. So it was only actually when I got my postdoc at Stanford, I was required also to teach, which I discovered really the pleasure of teaching. And that I think that enhanced my desire to become, you know, a a faculty member in a university where you have to also teach regularly.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about... Specifically, the research and the work that you do, and what your focus is, how would you describe it to someone who is a little more of a layperson, but someone who's interested in studying political philosophy? So, what I
1: do, I mean, I'm not an historian of political thought. Um, so, historian of political thought, was, of course, study the history of both ideas and the history of the thinkers that. Who produced those ideas? Although I teach history of political thought, so I teach authors such as Hobbes, Locke, Rousseau, Wollstonecraft. I do, however, my research is mostly on thinking ethically about contemporary topical issues. So I've been read, just finished writing a paper on the ethics of capital mobility. So what should be the limits and constraints set to the flows of capital across the world? And I'm writing a paper on expropriation and property rights. When is that is permissible to expropriate rightfully held private property, right? We have things in the American Constitution, such as, I mean, and domain, when the state has to construct, I don't know, a highway, they seem to be permitted to expropriate. Private property. So, why and what, are, what is the strength and the grounding for those arguments? So, I'm teaching also classic on the ethics of immigration. I've been written on privatization and how the privatization of public functions, such as the military, healthcare, welfare, prisons, undermine the democratic legitimacy of a state. I'm interested in basically in a lot of questions that concern our world, especially politics, especially the states. And I address them from a normative, ethical and philosophical perspective, rather than from a merely descriptive and empirical one.
0: What would you say is your biggest source of inspiration or motivation in your work right now? Where are you drawing energy and inspiration for the work that you do?
1: I mean for the from the real world, for most part, I think, you know, I try my work to address questions that I think matters, not only for philosophers, for the world in general. Recently, I have to say, for the first time I've written a book, actually in Italian, that is directed to a non academic audience. So my book, The Privatized State, was mostly written for an academic audience and this other book is not. So because of that, I had the opportunity to participate or to present my work at events with civil society associations, trade unions, political parties, and other research institutes that are not directly linked to academia. And although, I mean, um, I love going to academic seminars and workshops and talking to my colleagues, But it has been very good and motivating to to address audiences um, who are not directly academic. Sometimes they know more, of course, uh, about a lot of problems that I only know through books. And other times it's good to see as my own idea can help them think in new ways about what they care about. So this sort of reciprocal exchange has been very exciting.
0: Is there something that you aspire to do or to be in your career right now? What are your hopes for the future of your career? Yes,
1: yeah, so I am now working on a very new project and I don't know where this project will lead me, but the idea is really to try, to try to think about whether there is something distinctively Problematic or wrong with capitalism. And of course, this is a huge question that political philosophers, theorists, social theorists, historians, economists I mean, I've had and maybe economists, not but many people have addressed in the histories of these disciplines. And but I think I might have something, you know, slightly new or anyway, a kind of novel angle from which to address this question. And I'm think about this project with an economic historian also at the University of Chicago. And so it's also very productive for me to think about this question from the perspective of two disciplines at the same time.
0: Yeah. This next question is for people who'd be considering really thinking about going into a PhD, but specifically who might be interested in being a professor. What would you say are the more fun things about being a professor and then the things that are not so fun? Maybe we can start with the things that you really enjoy about the work you do and, and what you would tell somebody who is considering pursuing a similar career. What are some of the really positive parts of your job?
1: Great. So I should premise that I mean uh extremely privileged position because the University of Chicago is a elite institutions with a lot of resources we get excellent students you teaching students is a pleasure they're good at they do the readings it, it's great to talk to them our PhD students are fantastic I mean less and less but I have Time to do research, I have sabbaticals, I travel for conferences I have funds to travel for conferences, so my job is wonderful and i couldn't you know i c- i couldn't feel luckier like, uh, to have then to have this job but I have to say that this is very rare. And unfortunately, because how the job market works, I my advice uh, needs to be, and when I say needs, I say I think I have a moral duty to tell people who want to do a PhD, that is a wonderful, wonderful thing, but that they should be thinking about the fact that, right, it's the job market prospects are very uncertain, and that a lot of one great people who do extremely, really amazing work can't find a job today. And, and this is a fact. So what I would say as my general advisor is that do it if there is nothing else that you would like to do instead. And while you do a PhD, of course, try to enjoy the work as much as you can. Try to care deeply about your work as opposed to just strategizing and networking and all that kind of instrumental stuff. But at the same time, try to keep your options open as much as you can. Maybe develop other skills, maybe, you know, gather information about other jobs and possibilities so that if you you don't succeed in the end, you find a job in academia that won't feel like as a failure, right? Um, and you will have anyway enriched reached yourself by doing a PhD. And now you will go out into the world doing something else without experiencing that as a failure. So that's, I think, my best. Yeah.
0: What advice would you have for someone who, I think it's, it's good advice um, to have a backup plan to have other skills and other things that you are interested in. But in terms of someone who is really, really, really interested in going into an academic field and pursuing this, what advice would you give to someone to so that they can set themselves up for the most success possible in your field?
1: Yeah. So, right. I mean, there are so many things that are important. For example, a huge important part, I think, of a PhD is your own cohort, like you have to feel supported you have to have people you exchange ideas with so always go to seminar go to workshop but also uh, forms informal reading groups with members of your cohort so that you will not always have peers you can exchange ideas trying to understand that here given the job market situation is actually rational to try to be that competitive because even the best sometimes won't be able to succeed but your best means to succeed is to actually collaborate with others and to try to strengthen each other's ideas and to strengthen the quality of right your own work by also being generous and with the ideas of others so that's definitely a piece of advice also One thing I would say, of course, don't take rejections personally. If you send an article, it gets rejected. They're not rejecting you as a mind, as an intellect. They're just rejecting their article. Someone else might like the article more. So don't take rejections too personal. And also, don't strategize too much. It's important to go to conference, to meet people. It's important to, you know, try to form a network. It's important to publish early on, all this is important. But what mattered the most at the end is really the quality of the work. So focus on that instead of wasting time on so many other things.
0: I'm curious, since you did grow up in Italy and now work in the US, if you can speak a little bit to the experience of spending time studying internationally or working internationally? Is that something that you'd recommend for people? What do you think the value of working outside of your home country is? I mean,
1: absolutely. I I could not measure the sort of benefits in terms of enrichment, in terms of the people I met, the experiences I had, the emotions I had of, you know, living in many places. I During college, I spent some time in Barcelona, then in Brussels, then as I said, I went to London for my PhD, then I came to the US during my PhD. I was in DC, then I went to California for my postdoc. Then I was on the East Coast in New York for one year, and now I'm in Chicago. And so, you know, Even during sabbatical, I always try to go somewhere else. Last year I was in Paris and Milan. So I'm a bit I think like having international experiences open your mind, and I would definitely recommend that. This being said, there is always also another side, which is when I left Italy, I did it because right, I did I wasn't sure I would be able to find a job in Italy. And what seemed at the beginning a voluntary choice, then it became progressively felt more more like I was an expat and I wasn't sure whether I would be able to come back and coming back sometimes becomes more and more difficult. And so there are, there is sometimes this sense that you are, you know, a very privileged one, but an I'm immigrant, and there is always a sense of being a foreigner. And that's sometimes a cost, maybe, a, you know, a cost that is worth paying, but so definitely just to <laughs> summarize what I want to say is that, International experiences are great and I would, people who can afford them and who can do them, I would strongly recommend that. But at the same time, you know, being abroad also makes you miss home
0: in some sense. Yeah, I can definitely understand that. I'm curious if there's something that you feel really proud of in your career. I'm Hopefully there are many things, but what's something that recently has made you feel a great sense of pride or accomplishment in your career? I mean one thing
1: it's hard I have to confess that I don't like to feel great pride, so I rarely experience that feeling. But I have to say that there is something in general i like I try to be as creative as I can in my work, like mixing. Different, you know, disciplines, and try to be creative. Type try to produce original argument. So creativity and originality for me, it's sort of the things that gives me more pleasure. And in that respect, I felt. yeah, proud of my book. The first book, The Privatized State, I I thought it represented well this side of my work of trying to bring together different influences, different also disciplines, and try to come up with something that is, you know, sufficiently original, but also perhaps hopefully, you know, salient for the real world at the same time. So I was proud of my book. Yeah.
0: Can you tell me about an experience, a positive experience you've had in the classroom working with students? Is there a particular class that comes to mind or a particular student relationship? But what's a positive experience that has made you feel accomplished in the classroom?
1: I have to say I had many positive experiences because the University of Chicago undergrads are just wonderful. And so I, most of my teaching experience is positive. I would say maybe because it's a recent experience. This fall, I was co-teaching with an historian, a course on property and the public interest. And there were 14 students. And I never been in a class where basically I almost could remain silent for the entire class. And the students, you know, with just some input, with just some question here and there, they would just talk and say, great things. And the class looked like a workshop where everyone was there to understand what the main problems with the readings were. And they were trying to come up with a better interpretation, a better view. It really felt like that feeling about, it's not a class where I teach an authoritarian structure, but we are here all together doing this joint intellectual activity of understanding this text together. And that's probably the best feeling that I have when I teach.
0: So this is one of our last questions, and I'm curious to know, what is one of the most gratifying things about your job? I know we've kind of touched on a couple of different things, but if there was one thing that you would just say is, is the most gratifying and the reason that you do what you do, what would that be?
1: Seeing that your own idea can be helpful for others in the sense that others find them interesting, they reuse them, that they can enrich the intellectual work of others. And at the same time, I have to say, feeling is that, that other people's new ideas. So when I go to a workshop and I hear something novel, sometimes you go to a workshop, you read a paper, it really blows your mind or something you know, this kind of experience where others give you things that really feel you, make you feel enriched in that moment and, and that stimulates new ideas, new thoughts on yourself. That's, I think, this kind of intellectual exchange is what excites me more than grat- gratified me most in the profession.
0: Thank you again, Professor Cordelli, for your time today. And course takers, if you enjoyed listening to today's episode, please check out the other ones. Leave us a comment, subscribe, follow, and share this episode with your friends and family. You can find out more about the University of Chicago through uchicago.edu or the university's campus in Hong Kong through uchicago.hk. Stay tuned for more. See you around.